Hey there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Sons and Suffers podcast. I am very excited uh, to bring back an oldie and a goodie and a homie and a best friend, <laughs> Mr. Albert Oaks. It's me, the one and only, not so good, not so bad, just okay guy, Albert Oak. But he's gotten pretty fast in speed climbing, which is pretty rad. And uh, if you guys haven't followed him already, please make sure you do because this shit is wild. Uh, I uh, stick to uh, low grade pebble wrestling, he sticks to high speed. Just straight Jump jumping. So have you, you actually just recently PR'd, didn't you, in your yeah. speed? I went like 7-2, but I'll go faster. So just real quick, um, can you kind of put that in perspective for people who don't know anything about speed? I'd say if you're going under 7 seconds, that's like V10 and up. So I'm like V8 in, I don't know, 4 months. V8, V9. So I'm like knocking on the doors. Wow. Okay. Wow. Wow. That's, that's okay. That's crazy. Well, this episode is not about speed, but that's thoroughly impressive, my man. I like that. Um, today we are doing a little recap about our time in Salt Lake together, which was amazing at the World Cup. And um, I was only there for a small portion of it, but uh, we both had an opportunity to sit down with the myth, the man, the legend, Mr. Boone Speed. And if you guys don't know him, but, Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised that majority of you don't know him, but anybody who truly fanboys rock climbing knows who Boone Speed is. We're, we're talking about speed so much, but th- this is a different type. This is a, his name is Speed, but he also lives his life pretty fast, but also knows when to slow down at the right moments. Really, yeah. And I think if you guys watch his history of climbing, one of the first thing moments that he slowed down is when he created pusher holds, which was a, it was a phenomenon. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I can remember an article where the pusher big sloper, the, just the image of that hand coming out was what inspired me to rock climb. And I, I would be, argue that I still have that art. Is that the photo with Obi? Yes. 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 That th- it's so synonymous. Mm-hmm. And his background, he really merged the concept of like old airwalk kind of crazy skate ads. And he brought it into the climbing world. So it was real cool. He, he's sort of like, the unseen if you're a modern climber and you just walked in the gym you would never know that he has impacted like every little facet of what you touch at the gym yeah yeah 100 and you know if you've climbed in salt lake or you're a part of any of that crew or you go to joe's valley or anything like his name is anywhere like just take a moment when you start salt through if you're in the midwest or the west start scrolling through guidebooks and just be aware that the man is literally everywhere and with that being said he has now ventured into making climbing boards and the grasshopper board in my opinion i think is probably one of the best boards out because one key factor it's the only board that i know that you can warm up on yes i agree i I, you don't see those happen anywhere yeah, it's like it's like it's a huge factor because anyone who's climbed on a moon board knows like if you get on that thing cold, you can kiss your fingers goodbye. Yeah. Uh, and a kilter board, you could definitely warm up on it, I think, but you've got to basically tilt it all the way it up. Flat. It's got to be flat, and even then, it's still kind it's of like same with tension, I would say. yeah, it's uncomfortable. It's yeah. sharp. You know, I think they all make really good products, but I think the the thing that sets this board apart is the fact of the matter that you can warm up on it. And then it goes just as hard as any other board. And, and to quote Boone, any board at 40 degrees will get you strong. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because he's taken little 
every facet of his life and experience imported into this one product. And we're going to see the culmination of that. This podcast, I definitely want to say, uh, shameless plug, is dedicated and brought to you by Kaya Climbing because they helped us get out here to bring these amazing stories to you that Albert can be able to bring. I'll let him tell you about it. But the cool thing about it is the Grasshopper Board integrates with your training. It integrates with your climbing. So if you guys are on Kaya, if, well, let's just be honest. If you actually want to get better at your climbing, you should be on Kaya because if you are not video analysis and watching yourself climb, then you are not going to get better. You can get better to a certain extent, but the days of just going to the gym and showing up and just climbing like that, I, I personally think are gone. I think if you really want to get better, you need to suck it up and watch yourself and get beta from other people and learn things. And I think Kaya is the best possible platform for that and for you to get very simple gains and learn. I agree as well. The best coach you have is yourself, and the second best coach is anyone else. So I'll be, I'm actually making a video about Boone Speed too, which is oh, kind of yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. I'm being a jerk. I'm jerk. Yeah. Tell, let, let's let's talk about no, it. But that, that's honestly that's that was exactly what I was going to say. They're all wraps up together, and uh, yeah, hop on Kaya. Let me see your sends. Yeah. Keep listening to Mario. Spread the word. And if you guys haven't already, please join our sticker club for a simple thing of $5 a month, which is virtually buying me a beer and just hanging out. You get stickers and cool things in the mail. Sometimes a little love letter. Sometimes it's just the stickers. Sometimes it's a sneak peek of what's coming up. But if you haven't already, go to sensandsuffers.com and join now. I'm looking forward to sending you some stickers and some love letters. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sins and Suffers podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley, and I have the privilege of being here with the myth, the legend, the God amongst mere mortals, the man that was living on Olympus or still is on Olympus, but he came down with to the rest of us mortals to help us out and get figure out how to get on the Mount Olympus, uh, Boone. And uh, I, Boone, I'm not going to pretend that everyone knows who you are because this is actually a really big re re revelation to me that Chris and I were talking about um, on the car ride to the venue. It's like when I came into climbing, I socially or I, uh, I connect with more from people from your generation of climbing, but I don't know as many of them. I've seen videos, but I realize like those names aren't as synonymous as they as they should be or once were within like the younger generation because i mean i really i coach seven to 19 year olds right no they're all i love all of you but you're all idiots and so <laughs> uh so yeah so who are you where are you from and what is your connection to the great outdoors and the climbing industry as a whole um well hi thanks a lot for having me on this is great. <laughs> I'm happy you're here. And um, so I was uh, born and raised in Utah. Um, I grew up at the foothills of some mountains here, like the prominent mountains that you see on the east side of town. Okay. And um, always, like my father was a cowboy. I rode horses and camped all the time, sometimes with friends, sometimes alone in the mountains. And um, aspired at some point in my early life to be a mountain man. Like that meant tracking and 
you know, like even like killing animals and, and things like that. Mighty Hunter, like, you know, mountain man style living. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and in my late teens, I discovered climbing and I had no idea what it was about. Like it was random that I was, was asked to go. And from that day on, like my life took a, like a turn in the right direction. It was critical at that moment in time. I was 19 and I was, didn't know exactly what I was going to do. Who asked you to go climbing? Uh, just an old friend, an, okay. old, an old friend. I was working at a bronze foundry. Um, and I was, uh, I was wearing some Patagonia shorts and I had no idea the significance of these Patagonia shorts. And he was like, Hey, are you a climber? And I've said, no, I mean, this is in the 1980s before Patagonia was a household name. Yeah. And he, and I had no idea. And he said, Oh yeah, those are climbing shorts. And, and I was like, Oh really? And he's like, yeah, do you want to go? And we went the next day and I, I think I probably climbed like 360 days that, that year. I mean, I was just, I was just like, this is the life. Yeah. (laughs) You know, snuck out of work early, just like did whatever. Like I like scrapped together money for ropes. Like, you know, it was just, it, it overtook me. I was like, it was, I was at home, like within like on day one. Yeah. And with the next day and the next day and the next day. That's awesome. So, yeah, I mean. And so, and so your path and climbing, from what I understand, is kind of taken kind of all over the world. I'm assuming here, uh, you've done climbing and between climbing and photography. That's I've done the next quite thing a bit I was of traveling. Yeah. So can you, can you kind of like elaborate a little bit on like, I guess your climbing photography profession and like, where has that led you? And then I guess, what is your fondest Oh, what is your most fond? What is your most fondest memory doing photography? And what is the one job that you did with it was more suffering than anything else? <laughs> but I mean, you probably still liked it in the end. Um. So, which what's the first question? Talk, tell me about your photography. Well, photography. So I studied graphic design and photography in school, and and got out of school early, like left school after my junior year of college and I'd studied graphic design and I was hired by black diamond and I was, I was working in their marketing and creative department and I was part of my job was being a photo editor for black diamond. So I would, I I played, I played that role for six or seven years Mm -hmm. in the mid nineties, all through the mid nineties. And, um, during that time, I mean, my graphic design was very much 1980s driven DIY, like, like kind of spontaneous, fast, mm-hmm. um, and fast, you know, quick, quick work, like, yeah. um, kind of that DIY style. Yeah. Punk rock, you can call it, but it wasn't, it wasn't, um, so irreverent. It was more just like, my father is an artist and he was, he was an impressionistic sculptor. And so oh. the, it wasn't super it wasn't overworked. It was only worked enough. Right. Uh, and okay, it was never yeah. overfinished. Um, never uh, polished, never polished. Okay. You know, it was like the impression of the idea. Right. And, and you get, it's, it draws, it has more of an emotional tug than a, you know, there, it's not as crafty. It's just, it's just more artistic and it's Would you more call it like more raw and visceral. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. That makes sense. More raw and visceral for sure. And that, and so and it, evocative, right? Okay. Emotionally evocative. That's interesting because like, and so when you were doing that, you were creating uh graphic design for black diamond and, and pusher and pusher. 
Yes, because they say you were one of the people, you were one of the gentlemen that founded Pusher. Yeah. Okay. And then it's funny. So I'm thinking about this now. And like, I feel like, like just looking back at that, because when I first started climbing, the old Pusher ads were the things that I would find like, Thinking that I like, you know, the only way I can describe it is like you find your dad's nudie mags underneath the bed. And I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? You know, and I'd be like, like, I was like, this is rock climbing. Fuck this shit in the gym. Like, this yeah. is great. And it like, it really did connect with you. And I don't think it's funny now, now that you think, now that you like describe that, I don't feel like the ads do that as much anymore. Or maybe they do to the younger generation and like that's really what connects to them. Well, but. we were we were so I'm glad to hear that. That was exactly what we were going for. Um, it was more that those ads from Pusher that started my photography career. Really? Yeah. And the, that photography didn't exist in in the climbing world. It existed outside the climbing world. It existed in skate and snowboard and some of these other sports. It existed in art, but it didn't really exist within climbing. And there was a lot of great climbing photography, but it was about climbing and space. It wasn't about the emotional draw of climbing. And I think that's what those pusher ads were able to do. They became like impressionistic. They were like intentionally blurred or there were, there was, there were, there were lines blurred in there and it was intentionally imperfect or emotionally evocative so that you, and then, and then Mike Call, who's, you know, been pretty much my, like, like we've lived like brothers for the last 25 years, you know, he's an amazing copywriter. He has, he has an amazing way with words and he also breaks a lot of rules when he's writing, but he knows how to, he knows what rules to break in order to get the right emotional tug. You know uh, what I mean? He knows yeah. how to say a lot with a little. That's a, that's a gift. And so you, so you have poetic words with poetic photography and you get those old pusher ads. And that's, that's, that's the reason going back and revisiting that when Jared Roth, uh, kind of resurrected pusher, it made me think so much about what, what drew me into photography in the beginning. And then it made me also realize what was missing presently in the late in the late teens of the last, you know, the last like four or five years ago, I started realizing like what I was missing in, in my creative world, which was when you're a, you know, like there's no halfway there's, you can't, if you're going to be a professional photographer, you've got to go in my mind, especially if you've got bills to pay and you don't have a bank account full of money, which I, I, I have bills to pay and I don't have a bank account full of money. So I, I need to work to support myself, my family, pay my mortgage. Mm-hmm. And once you do that as a photographer, I think it's, I think you have to start working for other people and selling your creativity. And that doesn't always, that's not always the, that's not always as fulfilling as, you know, when I started making photographs, I was making them for me, for, for my purpose, yeah. for pusher. We yeah. had something to say. Those photo- those photographs didn't exist. That photo- that that style didn't exist. What was Pusher trying to say? Well, I think Pusher was trying to say that climbing, climbing is social. Climbing is a social endeavor that is that is bigger than just the sport itself. And we're mm-hmm. not just there's not just two of us connected by a hundred feet of rope. There's a bunch of us sitting beh- below boulders, yeah. like a skate session. 
and that we, that this is a social environment that that everybody is included. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. Um, you know, like everyone's welcome. Both, you know, it's like like when I was in in nineteen ninety eight. I mean, it was like there of a hundred climbers, there might have been three women. You know what I mean? And now you go into the gym or any crag. You go to any crag today in 2021 and it's half and half. And I think that's amazing. Yeah, it's definitely come a long way. I remember even when I first started working in the gym in early 2000s, it was definitely a sausage party 90% of the time in the gym. And I remember... I remember the first like group of girl gang, like kind of coming into the gyms that were adults, not teen kids coming up. And some of the guys were just like beside themselves. And this is so funny. This is actually where I would always ask new employees coming in. I was like, would, I was like, would you date any of those girls? They're like, no, they climb stronger than me. I can't do it. <laughs> guys are so stupid. And I laugh like, so hard. They're like, would you? I'm like, baby, you can put my project up on put my project up on top rope. I'm all good for it. I'm like, I'm yeah, okay with yeah, that. No doubt. I mean, I mean, and it's it's great to see, you know, it's it's fun to be a part of this sport as it grows. And I think, you know, like a few things happened four or five years ago where, you know, I was having these I was going back and and kind of looking back at what at those pusher ads. Like I said, Jared Roth, you mm-hmm. know, kind of resurrected pusher. It had been living in a box for like ten years, yeah. Um, and it, you know, hadn't been it hadn't been what you know. It's like we, I left pusher in two thousand and one, I believe. For Mike, a- Mike, and I both left pusher around the same time in two thousand and one. Creative it was, differences. It, uh-huh. Were there creative differences? Uh, there's a lot of differences and that, that's, that's, it's, that's neither here nor there, but it lived in a box for 15 years and, and yeah. or storage unit or whatever. And, and Jared Roth kind of brought it back cause he, he remembered it as a kid. Right. Mm-hmm. And he was like, so he, so he brought back all these old ads and he called me and he was like, Hey, do you want to participate in this? And I was like, man, this is anyway, long story short, it made me realize like, I was kind of like, I got to I think I'm ready to start a company and like, I want it. Like, I like this climbing stuff. This climbing stuff is really cool. And I was doing some work, marketing, consulting work with the, the North face, yep. some of the gym companies, um, blue water ropes. Like I, mm-hmm. I had, I'd never really t- cut off ties with these companies. Um, I know a lot of people in the industry and I started like looking around going, you know, I was involved Never a partner, but I was involved in Comp. Okay, like I didn't for, know that. for five or six years. Big yeah. part, you know. I was I was very involved in that. Um, like I said, I wasn't a partner, but there, but all the partners are good friends of mine, and I yep. was part of that family. You, you were and, a player in the game. Yeah, I was player in the game, and 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 helping to pr- promote that. And um, as one of my one of my best clients in the in the industry was uh, like back in the other industry was this company called Infinite Scale and they were they were part of climbing they're part of they're working with USA Climbing right now. Okay, it's so funny how all these really great people and all these really great companies and how climbing and the Olympics and Salt Lake City and USA Climbing it everything is coming together and it's and it's like it's almost like you know like it's just like a just a, a black hole of energy here, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, and, and really happening, you know, and, uh, the, 
like it just feels like this, there's something going on here. And, you know, I was looking at these LED boards, um, which are used for training. And a lot of people have tried them. A lot of people have kind of seen them, but like it, it became pretty clear to me that that they weren't meeting the the needs of the the climbers. I mean, yeah. I have a f- literally a few of my friends like climbing on, liked climbing on the mood board in 2016, 2017. And, but, but virtually nobody else. I mean, I had a lot of friends that couldn't climb on it. They were just playing like, I can't warm up on V5 and that's not for me. You know? No, no, it is. I will admit that it's probably one of the biggest things, especially about the moon board. Cause I've always liked that board, but it's impossible to warm up yeah, on yeah, it. It's tough you, to warm you up tweak on. on it. Yeah. And it's, I love that kind of climbing. Yes. And <laughs> it's like, I, I get it. But what I, what I understood more was like the concept, the technology, the, the crowdsourced route setting, the, what the lights brought to it, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the boards that, that were going all over the world. And I was like, I think that this is the really the, you know, the biggest idea out there. Um, I've seen a lot over the course of 35 years in the sport or more almost 40 years now in the sport. Like I've seen a lot of evolutionary dead ends in indoor climbing Yeah, and a lot of white elephants being built in, in taking up a lot of, they cost a lot of money and they take up a lot of space and they're never used. And that to me, the, the idea of an adjustable personal size climbing wall that is, that anyone can climb on, on day one and everyone can improve on. I mean, I've got two or three Olympian of the Olympian climbers, the guys that are going to Tokyo Uh that are using the board on a daily basis. If not all of them, I don't know. I know that, I know that two of them are using it like routinely and we actually, Nathaniel Coleman loves it and we're, he'll be our first sponsored climber on our team. And like, the thing is, is that when you can, when we've created something literally for everybody and you'll never, you know, you'll never grow out of it. And so that to me was like, this is kind of worth going all in. If there's one thing I know, <laughs> and I don't know much, but I do know climbing. Fair I've enough. seen it. I've seen it grow. I have a pretty good way of assessing a good idea from a bad idea. And I'm, and you know, like I remember when I was being, you know, in the mid nineties, I thought the bouldering was something pretty special. And I was like, this is a big deal. You guys, and I, you know, tell a bunch of friends and half of them were like, bouldering will never be anything. And these are people that knew what was going on. I mean, in hindsight, that's ridiculous, right? Like in hindsight, that is a ridiculous thing. But when the magazines would not publish photos of bouldering, if it wasn't like midnight lightning or John Sherman on something out in the middle of a, like a, field in Kansas, the photography of bouldering photography did not get published. It was not considered legitimate climbing as late as like the late 1990s. That blows my mind. And it wasn't until Pusher and, you know, and a couple, and and like Ben Moon's S7 company out of Sheffield, England, and a few of these companies, there were some, there were some, there was bouldering happening in Germany, but it was like, all of this was like really... Uh, like a grassroots, like level, you know, like Jackie and the Jackie Goodoff and those guys were climbing in Fontainebleau, but it was not being practiced as a, as a, as its own 
sport. And what, what Mike Call and I sort of identified when we started Pusher was like the intrinsic value of bouldering was the fact that it's a socially, it's done in a social setting. And that is different than climbing. When you're, there's two people tethered by one rope, that is a, that is a, that is a different sort of endeavor than when you're hanging around a boulder and there's 15 people, nobody looks the same. And everyone's having a blast and kind of doing their own thing on their, their, on their own trip. Right. Yeah. Like trying skate tricks right next to, you know, like a whole group of kids trying skate tricks. You know, there's always the best, there's always the best one. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I've always felt like bouldering, climbing and skating go together more than anything else. Like, cause like, even when I'm showing my kids like how to rock climb, I can't remember, I'll have to show you this after uh, this, but I'll pull it up. But I have a video of this kid trying to do a skate trick and he just fails and fails, fails and, and fails. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he fails, but he falls and he's like, I found it. I got it. I got, got it. it. And then I freeze the video. I'm like, and I look at all my kids and I'm like, you remember that, fi- the, you remember that boulder, purple boulder last week? And he looks at me like that. And I'm like, I'm looking to the 10 and unders. I'm like, you remember the green boulder when you fell down and then we told you how to rock and you touched the hole. They're like, and then I hit play and then he does the trick yeah, yeah. and he like skates off. Into the, yeah. <laughs> uh, skates off into the sewer pipe sunset. And yeah. And uh, I think that's like, I think that's so unique that you bring up. I think it's very beautiful that you bringing up like more of like, it's not even the culture. It's like the nature of the beast within these subsets. Yeah, and yeah. I think the big thing is what you're really describing on, which blows my mind. I, and you're right. In hindsight, it's one hindsight is 2020, but um, it blows my mind that like you just, anything that involves a hang, people want to congregate. I mean, think of like COVID, like when we're all locked down, what is, what did everyone want to do? Yeah. Just see each other. Yeah, yeah. I can't tell you how many parking lot hangs that I had. Me and my buddies would drive to a random parking totally. lot. With, the, with lawn chairs and lawn beers. Lawn chairs just make a big circle. <laughs> and then everybody just comes in, sets the extra beer. Or like I would put like an extra Nalgene. I'd be like, hey, I made a large old fashioned, you know, bring some gloves, like wear your gloves yeah. and then just pour it into your own cup. And we would just sit around and just like talk and we would sit in the parking lot yeah, for like two totally, hours. Totally. And people were like, what are you, cops would come by like, what are y'all doing? And I'm like, we're eight feet apart. We're shouting at each other. Other people are across from the parking lot on the phone, just looking at each other, having a conversation. Yeah, yeah. But like, this is the nature of humans. And like, we want to have the ability to congregate. We right. want to be able to do that. And I think that's like, you're right. Like I like pusher ads. Like I remember them. Like I, like I, the one pusher ad that is very in my mind is when you guys shape that sloper, that big baby belly, like beer belly sloper that has the bolt right in the center. And I just, I remember this ad of this kind of blurred out of this hand, just kind of going over it. Yeah, and yeah. I just remember seeing a very simple pusher. And like that ad just stands out in my brain. Cause I remember, I can tell you where I was. I can tell you where I was, what time it was, uh, what time of day it was when I saw that magazine. I was standing in exposure, climbing gym. I was there helping set for a comp. No, I wasn't helping set for a comp. I was there for a comp. I forget what I was doing, but I was upstairs 
And they had all these old climbing magazines and that. And I was just kind of like, honestly, just dicking off because there was nothing really to do. Like everybody else was doing those things. And so, and I just remember flipping, flipping. And I just remember staring at this thing and I'm just being like, this thing connects with me. But like, I just like couldn't stop looking at it. Yeah. And I remember flipping later and then I remember coming back to it and flipping, looking at it. And I'm like, I just don't understand like why this connects with me, but it got me excited. Yeah, And I can, I can, this is super silly, but I can literally think of the route that made me feel like my hand was doing that exact move. And I remember coming down and I never told anybody this, but I, I literally got excited on that route and I was hoping one day I can get someone to take a picture because it would look just like that ad. (laughs) And I'm like, but it was on a rope route and it's like in Rymers and it's probably Rymers Ranch in in Austin. I know Rymers. Yeah. Yeah, I've climbed there. uh, Okay. Yeah. It's this garbage route, but, and it's only good and and a certain time of year, but like there's Zoe's wall. And then there's this like two routes to the left and there's this really weird, awkward, like really crimpy kind of laybacky 12 thing. But then the top of it turned, I love this route. Everybody else calls it trash, but you have to start with the like weird laybacks and you go into these shallow fingers and then there's like kind of like a pockety thing and it ends up in this just big hand open sloper that you just have to hit. Yeah. That is the move that I was like, this is the pusher ad. <laughs> and I remember that like it was yesterday. I just remember that. I was like fucking like, do you remember what that route's called? No, but I will look it up. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. My phone's somewhere, but I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. I'll, I'll tell you, but yeah, that route. Yeah. I never did send that route. Cause it's like, <laughs> I always went during the summer and it's like, if you know, you know, rhymers, you like sweats yeah, like yeah, so yeah, much yeah. during the summer. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, so I guess in all of this, you know, when was grasshopper born? So grasshopper, we, we decided what it was going, going to be called, I think in like in the middle of 2017. Okay. So how long have you been actually working at building this concept out? I mean, did you know, I mean, obviously you knew you wanted to make boards, but like, like conceptually, like when were you like, okay, like, like, okay, I think this is enough. Like it's good enough. Like, you know, rule, number one, we've rule been of rock selling climbing. boards. We've, we started selling boards in 2018. Oh, very quickly afterwards. Yeah. Like we, and, and, and we've, again, we had some, there were some early adopters and mm-hmm. some forward thinkers. It's a, like, okay, you and I just met really in person yesterday, right? We're yeah. at the World Cup. It's 2021. Sorry yeah. to timestamp this, but, yeah, like, nah, pfft, but like, here we are in Salt Lake City, right? 2021. And yesterday was, you know, we just announced Grasshopper as the partner with USA Climbing. I mean, I had people asking me if we had any of these things out there. I mean, we've got, we've got like a hundred and, 20 something we've sold 120 something walls or like, yeah, I mean, we've done, we've sold quite a few walls. We've been, we had a, we had a good year in COVID. Yeah. Um, I'm sure. So COVID kind of what we were doing in the very, the the way that this started was we, we all, I wanted to do all the whole thing was started around making frameworks for moon tension and kilter boards, which were the, I had no intention of making a hold set. Really? Only frameworks. And I expected people to understand how important adjustability is. Turns out it's still a concept that is only understood by probably 1% 
of the people that I talk to, they really get it. Especially old climbers. Yeah. Especially my buddies. Yeah. Good friends of mine who've only climbed on 40 degree moon boards are absolutely adamant that that's all you need. And um, I'm not going to argue with them. Just like my friend said, the bouldering would never be anything. Everyone will come around to this idea that adjustability is absolutely clutch. And, you know, you're going to you're, you're going to see this whole concept really start to take hold. But we are still in it in the infancy of this. However, the reason that we've sold a hundred and something boards already is that is that people all over the world get this. I mean, we're, we're shipping boards literally all over the world. And that's, you know, there's 8 billion people. Like it's not hard to sell a hundred boards. Like there's a few people that are, that get it early Mm -hmm. and it's just as more and more people get it, you know, it's like, I'm still asked, I'm still being asked like, well, where does the auto belay go? And you're like, dude, this is a bouldering wall. And they're like, well, what's bouldering? And you're like, it's an Olympic discipline, <laughs> like you know, and you literally have to start people at A. A is what what we realized by the by by the end of 2019. What we realized is is that all the tension, the moon, the kilter, mm-hmm. none of those boards catered to the 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 biggest majority of the climbers, and that is people that like. Like everyone needs to start someplace. And when I mean everybody needs to start someplace, Nathaniel Coleman needs to start someplace every single day that he climbs. He's going to end on double digit V, v Boulder problems yes. and World Cup competitions, but he needs to start somewhere. And that means you need to warm up. So that's where the moon board fails. You need to have, you need to have enough dedicated real estate to specifically warming up. You need to have dedicated real estate to big footholds and big moves. You need to have dedicated real estate to heinous, slopey footholds that that work nothing but body tension that make yeah. moves really hard. Like like this is nothing this is the the moon tension kilter boards are all great. And I sell and I've t- sold a ton of adjustable walls to people that want kilter, moon and tension holds. I've got yeah. no beef with that. What, but what we did was our hold set, we created a hold set last year, 2000, basically, yes, I, I created holds and mm-hmm. we worked with Josh Larson to do, to do the layout. So he's yeah. the coach of the national team Yep, and he did a masterful job of laying it out. And what we realized is, is that, that, I mean, the, the goal was is to, create a layout that does actually work for everybody and that it works for beginners at say 10 degrees and it works for, you know, seasoned climbers. Like I, I'm hard pressed to climb past 40 degrees, but like, I'm like thrilled to do a V10 boulder problem too. Yeah. V10, V11. And I can do V10, V11, V12, V13 all day long at 40 degrees on this board. And it still goes to 50 degrees and 60 degrees. So Jesus. like you just, it just keeps ramping up. You know, what we realize is, is that difficulty really t- kind of determines or angle really determines, determines difficulty. difficulty. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, I mean, that's definitely a thing. And in the coaching world, I think the only other people who would really understand is anyone who coaches consistently. Like if you're actually a climbing coach, not just a strength trainer, you know, and I'd be honest with you. I'd probably say anyone that has actually tried to climb anything harder than, you know, 512C, yeah. I think would understand it. And that's like, you know, I argue this all the time in the gym. People are like, man, what do most climbers climb? And they're like, 
Most climbers climb five nine. Most climbers the, boulder B three. The majority of climbers boulder B three V three, and they're flat out on V like real V three. Maybe you know Jim V three. Jim V three. Yeah, Waco V three yeah. will make you cry. <laughs> like anyone who doesn't agree with me, go do lobster claws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lobster claws will make. I I remember I was like I can do V four. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> fucking dragonfly. Oh, that brought dragonfly. And that's that was a that was a benchmark in Waco tanks when they were making the V scale. That's the benchmark V five. One of three or four that they chose to be a benchmark V five. And so when when anyone's talking about V five, it's like my head goes directly to because I remember when the V scale was created. It's like dragonfly is V V five, and anyone can walk up to that boulder and fall off. Yeah. Like no. it's hard. No, it's not. A, it's not a give me in any <laughs> you know? way, shape or form. And um, what's the other one? No one here gets out alive. The V2 oh, yeah. Yeah, up, was... on the, up on the, up yeah, on the. Uh, actually, a jug broke North off Mountain? of that thing finally a couple of years ago. They And then I think they went back and epoxied it on and told no one to get on it for like a week and a half. And it's still V2. And it, <laughs> when the jug broke off, apparently it got a lot harder real fast. Which doesn't, I mean, okay, now it's all of a sudden V5 because one hole breaks <laughs> off. It's like, it was always, it felt like a gym V5. Like, yeah, no, you know, the, like yeah. it, it's such a, it, anyway, grades are subjective. we digress, yeah, right? We, we, we can, we can argue the semantic of grades yeah. all day. But, but like, yes, I mean, the vast majority of climbers, you know, aspire to climbing 511, yeah. you know, and V3. And, um, but that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that the, like that doesn't mean that the grasshopper board is just a beginner's board. No, it it's just not. Actually, it's, it gives everybody a place to start, whether you're a first timer or whether you're an Olympian. You need a place to start every single day you climb. And and then you can progress through all the way, just like you need a warm up up, up at Waco, even mm-hmm. if you're going to go out and do slash face. Yeah. Like you need a place to start. And yeah. that's what our board does. And, it, you know, we've been we've. Our board has been well-received. Yep. Coaches especially love our board because, as you're saying, because it's symmetrical and because there's a lot of ways to coach on our board. Yeah, um, I was talking to Ryan um, um, Arment in, mm-hmm. from ABC Climbing yesterday, yeah. and he is he's loving the board. And I, 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 you know, it's like I so appreciate, like, oh, he's yeah, like, Ronnie. oh, man, like, you know, like, you know, he's, he's unpacking, like, all that's built into this board and he's, and he's starting to to really see. And like, and I, I credit Josh Larson with that, you know, like the way that he laid out the holds and um, he had a lot of, he had a lot of, I mean, he's such a savant at that and he just did it. And it was like, the board is, you know, you can just, it's unlimited potential. Yeah. I'm excited to actually have an opportunity to play on it later after this. And then, it's one of those things of also looking at your board, watching kids climb it on it all day yesterday. I was sitting here literally thinking, I'm like, I could probably, you know, it, I was literally wondering, I was like, could I like set some like, because what I've been trying to do on the kilter board, which it's been really hard to do. I'm trying to set games on the things yeah. that are like I set my own rules for games and teach kids certain movements, a little bit of coordination, a little one twos, maybe even one, two, three. Mm-hmm. And it find it I find it super, super hard to do. But um I'm excited to play on this. But I would like to kind of dive into like going into having your own board. Like so we this board is designed for everyone and everyone should be and be able to use it. But I'd like to go into the argument and you and I were talking about this earlier that we run into about whether to buy a grasshopper board 
or build your own. <laughs> I know. <laughs> From Home Depot. And for those of you- I only laugh because I'm trying, I I know both sides of that. Yeah. And for those of you listening to Home Depot who are the diehard, you know, I'm a craftsman. Listen, if you're a cabinet maker, you're good. You're a handyman. Go for it. Like more power to you. But in my opinion, the only thing that is equivalent from buying one of these boards or a, a adjustable board- a, a light up board in general is building a spray wall. And if you want to do the math and building a spray wall in dollars, it adds up. Adds up. It's, it's thousands. It's, yeah. I mean, like I think like a decent, even in a home garage, like a decent spray wall. And you also want to have to understand the theory behind setting a spray wall. That's you have like, to understand the theory and you have to be pretty nerdy in order to do that. Yeah. And I know? love it. Like I setting For spray sure. walls are like, I, I definitely enjoy it. I haven't done it as much as I would like we've, to. We've, we've sold a bunch of our adjustable walls and they've become spray walls, whether it's at, you know, uh, national gin chains or, you know, really? in, yeah, yeah. See, so that, like, that's something like, I need. I know. don't, I, you don't have to buy my hold set to buy my, to buy the adjustable grasshopper walls. Right. No, but I think it would be dope to have the hold set built in there and then still fill it in with the sp- spray, with the spray, but like, so but going into, but just going into building a basic spray wall in your garage, it's probably going to cost you between holds alone. You know, let's just say a 12 by 12, not even a 12, let's say 12 by eight. I imagine you're going to spend at least 20 grand in holds. Like maybe that's not including volumes. Yeah. That's not including, that's not including lumber. So, so, so yeah, when you break it down, our hold sets and our lights cost 3,500 bucks and you're buying all the root programming and the connectivity, right? Yeah. You, 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 you buy a, your, you want to set your own spray wall. You're already into it. Like if you want to do a real good, like world cup comp style spray wall, like a Japanese dojo style spray wall, I mean, you're into it thousands of dollars for plastic. So why would anybody, so I'm betting that people will buy my walls. You know, I've got solutions competing with the home Depot starting at 25, 2700 bucks. And that's (laughs) like, that's a that's a good return on investment, yeah. right? Like because because you th- that and that's not an adjustable version of my wall. Like you have to you would have to buy the adjustable apparatus on top of that. But like at least you can get started rather than buying rather than going to the Home Depot, getting a bunch of wood, getting a bunch of plywood. It's going to cost you mm-hmm. probably a thousand bucks and a bunch of white hair. Yeah, that's you know, and and you're going to still end up with something that you can't move. You're never going to make it really adjustable because the engineering to make it adjustable is really difficult and you have to make it very stable. Yeah. Like you'll probably kill yourself (laughs) just making it on your own. Yeah. So yeah. If you don't cut your wrists wrists before trying (laughs) during the, during the build. Yeah. So Home Depot loads Ace Hardware, I would not recommend, but actually if someone buy, this is just random question, but like if I, someone buys your like fixed walls, can they then buy equipment later on to make it adjustable. Yeah. Yeah. So you can, you can, so you can can, scale up later. You can scale up later. I, my, my feeling is, is if you do the real math, you know, that, you know, that a good climbing wall for your house is going to cost minimum, even if it's fixed, it's going to cost 5,000 bucks with holds with good plastic and, and building a wall. You're probably into a 5,000 bucks. And And, and for the price of a mountain bike, I can sell you an adjustable wall with LEDs, an app, and and course setting for a lifetime. 
And I think also one thing that people need to take in consideration is your walls are freestanding. Yes. Yes. We have, we you definitely, have, you have option for freestanding yes, walls, Yes, the adjustable one. And then do you have options for freestanding adjustable ones too? Well, the one that you saw at the World Cup yesterday is freestanding adjustable. It's analog. So it's like, yeah. you, you know, it's gas spring assist. You It but works like a Murphy bed. But it's still freestanding it's, and adjustable. It's freestanding adjustable. We also have like really like bomb ass walls that are, you know. Computerized. High, computerized, hydraulics, touchscreen, ease of use. Like they can articulate while you're climbing on them. They're much bigger beasts. They're yeah. in the tens of thousands of dollars. They're a commercial board for yeah, sure. So, but like, let's, so let's just back. Back up to that too. Like, I think that's the one thing that like people need to also take in. It, it's freestanding. Like you're not building into the front frame of your house. You're not trying to figure out where your load bearing structures are. You're not shredding anything up. The most thing that you, the most that you might have to do is like fluff your carpet after you right. move it. Right. You know, yeah. but like, that's yeah. like a massive thing. And I think that's the big thing that people aren't really taking in consideration because I built a home wall in my buddy's like, you know, he's a bachelor. So I built one in his living room. Sure, I built a bunch of home walls in it's just like the, the framing of the house, the framing of the wall, the framing just to prep the wall yeah. to handle the load is a beast in itself. Yep. And yeah. And I think that's the big thing is because I think that's where a lot of people actually screw up in the math. They're like, okay, to build the wall, to build it this, and they design it. But then they forget about the additional framing that they need to make it truly right. load-bearing right. and be able to handle that so the thing doesn't fall on you. Right. And so, you know, and I'll and I'll I'm definitely gonna say this in this podcast. You buy whatever the hell you want. Right. Like oh, we're, for sure. we're we're encouraging you just to actually, you know, use basic elementary yeah. math skills yeah. and a, a spreadsheet. <laughs> and I'll provide a YouTube video on how to use Google Sheets if you need help. <laughs> But like, just do the freaking math and then, you know, lowball yourself, charge yourself eight bucks an hour in labor, lowball yeah. yourself and then just see what it comes up to. Or you can get a turnkey solution, which can move with you, can yeah. go anywhere that you move. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm betting, I'm bet, I'm betting on the success of this company. I really do believe that we're onto the right, on the right track. Yeah. No, I just I think, think it takes, are. it's going to take a minute for the, the only people that the, what I'm realizing is, is the only people that really get LED driven boards right now are elite climbers because all of the all of the solutions, all of the LED boards have been directed to V5 boulders and, and above. Right. right. Yeah. And so and so like the, the, the normal climber that walks into a gym is not looking at the moon board going, oh, I need one of those for my house or going, oh, I, I can never climb on that. That's why I have a gym membership. Right. Yeah. And that's the, and that's definitely a massive barrier to injury because we have a moon board and a kilter board at our gym. And the only board that actually sees a lot of love is the kilter board. Right. And people always ask me like, how come you only climb on the moon board? I'm like, cause I like the holes. Yeah. I like, no, I'm a moon board fan. I like, I so like, I, like they remind me of climbing outdoors. Yeah. And like all my friends are like, I just feel like they just make my friends gnarly. And I'm like, my fi sorry, my fingers like all gnarly. And I'm like, one, you don't climb on real limestone. Too. Yeah. I'm like, you don't climb outdoors at yeah, all. If you want to go to Rymers or any, like there's some nasty climbing in, oh, yeah. in Austin. Yeah. Um, so it's like, you know, like small holds, small grips, little pockets, tweaky holds. And like, it's like there's like the wraparound thing. Like, yeah. like I was talking, I forget, I don't know if it was you or someone else, but they were talking about like, what's the weird, oh, it was, I was talking to Tyler about it. And he was just like, and when he was measuring uh, my tendons and my fingers, 
I was talking about how like sometimes you grab a crimp and it's not like putting your thumb and you actually have to lay your thumb sideways yeah. so you can actually, and like I've got my thumb cut up and you can pull in and there are moves literally on the moon oh, yeah, board yeah, where yeah. like I'm like crimping and I'm like laying my thumb on the outside of it just to give myself enough leverage right, to move right. around. Yeah. So No, I mean, it is, it is, it does feel like real rock climbing to me. It feels yeah. like American Fork Canyon to me. Yeah. Um, and I like it. I mean, I've got, I've, I mean- I'll sell you a wall and you can buy moon holds and you're psyched, you know, but yeah. I, but I think in the future people, you know, you can buy, you can, you can go to the home Depot and you can make yourself a couch, but people don't do that. People have trained themselves to just like buy a couch that they like yeah. and they spend a lot more money than, or they might spend more money um, than, than by, than just making it a, a couch from the, from stuff at the home Depot. But like, that's I kind of what we're talking about. You yeah. know, it's like just, Buy once, cry once. Yeah. (laughs) Just get it over with. Like you do the same thing when you buy cams. You do the same thing when you buy all your other climbing gear. Mountain bike? Mountain bike will set you back, man. I'm not even going to go into that world because it's like so expensive. Um, You you said something earlier that I kind of really want to like jump back to because, you know, I, I knew this, but I didn't realize, I didn't truly realize this of like, how much of like an entrepreneur and kind of like a, a thought industry thought leader you are at like paving the way. And you said, you know, you know what it is in climbing. And I'm trying to remember the exact statement that you said, but I said, I, I know one thing. Oh yeah. You know, one thing. And so I guess my question is, is what is that one thing that it say someone wants to get into the climbing game, like whether it be a photographer, whether they want to make a board, whether they want to make, uh, add on to additional blocks. I mean, there, there's a billion things like the, the climbing industry is growing and there is room. There is enough success for everyone for to, get in, yeah. to get in. But like, what is the one thing that people should know? I mean, I mean, if that's a trade secret, I, we can keep no, it. No, no. I mean, the, the thing, the thing that I feel like what I was trying to say is that I feel like I know how to assess mm-hmm. Like I can, like if you, if, you know, I can assess, like I have a pretty decent idea of like, what's, what's a good, what actually is going to work in the real world mm-hmm. and what, and, and what's like kind of a fantasy uh. idea. You know what I mean? If somebody takes me to a, if somebody walks me up to the, let's say, let's say somebody walks me up to this crag, they say, I've got the best crag in the whole world. And let's say that, you know, it's like, it's the best rock you've ever seen. And it's. You know, just they're just going on about it. And let's just say that it's at, you know, it's it's at sea level, yeah. 2000 feet of elevation. And we walk up to it and it's and it's facing south. I'll be like, there's a major flaw with this crag <laughs> it faces south. You know, you you can't really have a world class south facing crag. I mean, there's there's examples of of it, like Smith Rock, yeah, um, and Bukes, and some of these some of these other crags that do face primarily south. But like by and large, the best crags in the world don't face south because they're in the sun all day. Oh uh, yeah, you know what I mean. And so like if you if you take me to a crag that faces north, I'll say you've got it's got a chance. It's so, in the shade yeah. all day. Yeah. You know, it's in the shade all day and that, that you can control, like you can't control the temperature of a crag. If you know, the crag in the shade is what the air temperature says it is. A uh, crag in the sun is not what the air temperature is. The crag in the sun, if the air temperature at Smith rock, some of the best days at Smith rock are when the air temperature is in the teens and you know, the rock being, you know, the temperature against the wall is, you know, 70 degrees in the full Jesus. sun. So, you know, it's like, 
the, you know, just little things like that, that mm-hmm. experience putting in those 10,000 hours. It's like you end up understanding, you know, really what's kind of going to work yeah. long-term. What's a good idea yeah, and what's not a good idea, you know? Damn. I would have never, I mean, it makes sense because I think about that when I look in a guidebook, I'm like, I'm like, I, I just helped do this article with uh, beyond clothing, a uh, clothing company that sponsors this yeah. podcast and they sponsor me and, um, beyond. Yeah. Oh, sick. Yeah. I know those guys. They're really good friends of mine. Nice. Uh, do you know, Rick and the rest no, of the guys? But they're, they're, they're sort of semi, they're quasi tactical, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're owned by five eleven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I think that that company's dope. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll uh, after this, we'll have to talk more about it. Okay. Those, are, those are good guys. Um, but it's funny. It's like, I look at, I was talking to them and they were like, what's the most important thing that most climbers don't pay attention. I'm like, you need to know where you're going, what time of year it is, what the season is. And then most importantly, I was like, you need to know what time of day you're climbing. Yeah. And it's funny. It's like, I realize even though you're saying that, I'm like, I inadvertently do that when I'm looking at a guidebook. I'm right. like, all right, it's June. I was like, all right, we're not climbing at this crag. It's going to be in sun for like 90% of the day. Right. Right. Like, it's not going to be fun. Yeah. Um, fuck. That's wild. But yeah, that makes sense. Now I, now I get what you're saying. And I think it really is, is just being like, really just putting it really what you're saying is, is like just putting the hours in so you can kind of understand the nature of the beast and the nature of the sport that you're going to get in. Cause you kind of said it earlier. Um, and I want to kind of phrase it as like, you know, you just kind of got to do your hustle. Like you're going to, you're selling your art, you're selling your photography. You really just have to kind of put your hours in. Cause there's a certain point in time, like, whatever niche or wherever you're going, I'm not going to say it's going to click, but the beginning of understanding begins to happen. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And so that, um, one thing I want to back up, uh, and talk about real quick, just cause I thought it was absolutely cool as fuck because no, I've never met anyone who's actually said this, but you said your dad was a cowboy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he grew up in San Angelo, Texas, but like he was a kid, like just straight up cowboy for a living. He was a cowboy for a living until he was a cowboy artist. What is a cowboy artist? So he's a, he, um, he's a sculptor. He was a sculptor. So okay. all like his art was, he sculpted horses and cattle and cowboys and punching cattle like Remington. Wow. And his art is all over your neck of the woods. Wow. Alice, Chicago. What's your dad's name? Uh, Grant Speed was his. his Grant. His, okay. Yeah. If you go to say the Texas art gallery, downtown Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. Like you'll, they'll. I, I'm making a day. I'm making yeah, a day. Of yeah. This. No, my dad was. Yeah, my dad was a cowboy. He was a sculptor, and he okay, was then. he was he was a successful artist while he was living, which was pretty cool. Yeah, I it, grew up in that world, and I just you know, it's like I it as a kid, you know, I didn't understand it, but like as an adult, like yeah. I you know, it's I very much respect that, and it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And then when you say he was a working cowboy, is this like a ranch man? So or? he used to work. I mean, he literally worked on the King Ranch. He worked on the Wild Ranch out in, you oh, know, wow. like, so all of that area between, you know, Austin, uh, San Angelo, Midland, Kerrville. Triple Six, all of that all stuff. All of that stuff. Like he was punching cattle on all those ranches. That's funny. And so he would, you know, he would go out for days by himself and and bring like the, you know, basically bring the cattle back to the, to the ranch when it That's- was time. That's awesome. And he, you know, that, so yeah, that was his, that was his life. He started working on ranches when he was like 12. That's 
I've never actually met or actually talked to anybody who's done it. Like I've seen it, like, you know, you drive by and now I think the modern cowboy is probably nothing like that anymore. Yeah, I know my dad was very much a gentleman. So he was a, he was a, he was a Texas gentleman and he was friends with like a bunch of people, you know, he was, he did it. He did it. Was he from Texas? He was born in San Angelo. Oh. Grew up in San Angelo. So you're famous. And I'm named after my uncle Boone. Oh. So, yeah. So my dad was like, he, he did, uh, he was commissioned by like Nolan Ryan. He was commissioned by T Boone Pickens to do work. Other people like that. Okay. The Hunt brothers, people like, you know, I mean, yeah. your guys. Yeah, no. <laughs> your boys. Yeah, yeah. I, well, they're not really my <laughs> no, boys, they're but, my I, boys but they're, they're in my neighborhood. But like, yeah, they're in your hood, right? Yeah. And so like, I mean, and, and through the through the Chicago connection, through the, you know, the like the Chicago School of Economics guys, like, like Rumsfeld was a collector of my father's work. Jesus. Donald Rumsfeld. So, you wow. know, like that weird sort of. Yeah connection between texas oil and yeah. all that stuff and and yeah that's a, milton friedman economics and kind of weird world like, it's funny yeah. i've recently like learned a little bit more about that and not it's just like texas oil and that whole and the energy sector that whole phenomenon and it really kind of like definitely it, it was well established and then i think when texas energy definitely went privatized fully yeah it was just like I mean, the net the web just exploded yeah. and it really goes a lot farther than I ever, ever, ever learned. Cause yeah. I never looked into it until the Texas energy grid failed. Dude, during the, it was right? Oh, it was, I mean, I wasn't too bad. I mean, I set up my tent, my living room. I had a camp stove. I mean, I was just camping. Literally everyone was like, what'd you do with all your food? I'm like, I actually opened up all my windows, took all my food out, put it on the countertop and just opened up the windows every day. Wrapped and all we the pipes. know this because we're climbers and we're kind of like, you yeah, know, we like, live on the road a lot, you know, and we know how to survive, but like people freaking out, freaking out. I bet. I <laughs> oh, can't yeah. imagine. My neighbors were like, when they were like, saw me, like they saw me get out of my apartment and they were like, is all your food on the floor? And I'm like, well, yeah, it's colder in the house than it is in the refrigerator yeah so i'm just boiling water and people used to do this you guys before electricity yeah this was the like, thing like like people actually kept food for a long time like without a, an electric refrigerator well i was laughing at people i'm like everyone does this everyone keeps food out and they're like name what time i'm like in the winter when it's freezing cold and you'd be like hey, be right. it's cold it'd be all right it's a me in my car it'd be all right and i'm like every one of you have done it it's the same thing like i'll never forget my dad was just like don't worry about the groceries just leave them in the car i'm like it's gonna snow and it's like yeah but you're gonna be off school you just get it tomorrow morning go play in the snow and then get the food and i'm like what the fuck yeah i thought it was so silly but now looking back at it it's amazing yeah man um Boone, I want to thank you for your time and I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to talking to you. And honestly, like I honestly felt like you just fucking took me to school with rock climbing history oh. and rock climbing and everything else. Because <laughs> I've known a lot of this. Like it's it's different knowing of it. Maybe, maybe it's more just like connecting the dots. It is connecting the dots, but it's also putting context and adding depth to it. Right. Like I make I'm super excited to get on this wall. And I think the two most exciting parts about this conversation is talking about what you're producing and what you're making, but also talking about like how the birth of Pusher really like pushed you forward and really kind of like, I, I can see the connections and right. I can see, as you said, connecting the dots. And it's just, it's, it's just, it's really exciting to just honestly see that because 
you know, from an industry standpoint of view, the rest of us looking at looking in it, like it seems like magic. It really does. Like yeah. it just, and it, it's not so much. It's you not, know what I mean? It's just being, it's just observation and experience true. And, th- and being thoughtful about it. Right. Yeah. But true. But I think, but I, it's not. And when you're here, because all, what is science? All, right. Magic is science. And then magic is just science that's not known yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think, but the thing is, the reason why I want to stick with that term of magic, it's like the magic of me seeing that article, the moment you said pusher and brought me back to that moment. Yeah. Like that's it. And like, that's why I would say, I was like, you were, you, you were intentionally thoughtfully thinking about like how to create this content, create this imagery, create this stuff that sparked that. And I think right. I don't want to take away from that. And I'm not letting you steal that from me. Cause that is magic. Cause that's the magic that made me fall in Good. love with rock climbing. Me too. And me too. Yeah, man. So um, if people want to find you, get in touch with you, buy a board or like, what is all the info to how to reach out to you or to reach out to grasshopper? Can, uh, we're at grasshopperclimbing.com mm-hmm. and at grasshopper climbing on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And, um, and through that you can get a hold of us. Perfect. And we, um, we've started just basically having, we've started to, to have, to, to have dialogue with all of our customers because we want people to, we want to help people walk through like the whole sequence, what, what's going to be best for them. We have a solution for basically everybody. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's something that has taken, uh, that's what's really taken the three or four years to, to, to get to. Yeah, um, no, we, I can see that. You know, it's like you start with something and then um, you start with an idea and it's just like any creative endeavor or any endeavor, really you start, right? Yeah. Just start. Yeah. And it's then, like, the, I'm guilty of that. That's the hardest and part. Then, and then just, just start, just start picking your way, just like a stream and, mm-hmm. and the stream always flows downhill and it's going to find a way back to the ocean. And, um, you just have to, you just have to remember that the true North is like, we're, we're getting, we're going downhill. And sometimes it's just, you have to circumvent, you know, take a circuitous route, but like, you'll end up where you want to be. Yeah. So that's, that's the creative process. That's the, that's what built making a business is, especially out of a, for a new idea, you know? Yeah. So the well, t-shirts on our site, that's easy to make. Oh, can I buy a t-shirt? <laughs> I'll give you a t-shirt, dude. Okay. That's what I have saying. a sticker? Yeah. I want a character shirt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, your sticker is going to be, yeah, we got to talk about, uh, I'll I show you. The... Just surprise me. I'm psyched to just okay, see what cool, you do. Cool. I definitely, I have an idea for I your sticker. It's going to be good. I think so, it's such a cool idea. So everyone listening to this, if you want a Boone sticker, you're going to have to go to sensandsuffers.com or mariostanley.com. Join the sticker club. <laughs> That's the only damn way you're getting it. Unless you Sick. bribe Boone, then, yeah. you know, he'll have yeah. some. Yeah. I All can't right. wait. Thank you. Cool, man. All right.